right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Got an interview for you today with Maverick McNeely. We were fortunate enough to sit down with Maverick for about an hour, actually, at the Callaway shoot during the Players' Championship week. Shout out to our friends at Callaway that helped set up the interview, gave us some of their time with Maverick for uh, our listeners to hear some of his story. And uh, we, we had him on, I think, episode 177 back in the fall of 2018, had Maverick on. So we covered a lot of his background in that in that time period. He was on the Corn Ferry Tour at the time. We kind of reflect on on where he was at that point and how much you know things have changed for him in the time since then. And as you might expect from uh, our experience with Maverick, it's it's really interesting stuff. He's one of the more thoughtful guys out on tour. Really enjoyed catching up with him. Of course, No Laying Up is brought to you by Precision Pro Golf. It is hopefully wherever you live getting to be golf season. If it's not already golf season, no matter what your goals are for this year, Precision Pro. Golf can probably help you there. We're going to talk about a couple ways how. First off, their award-winning rangefinders give golfers a reliable number to the target. Could be whether you're aiming at the flag or trying to avoid a hazard, trying to gun, you know, a hill in the distance, a tree in the distance, whatever it is. Everyone here at No Laying Up uses an NX9 slope. It's got all the features that golfers love. It's got advanced slope technology, the very satisfying pulse vibration. It's got the embedded magnet. You can just slap it right on and attach it to your cart. It's also tournament legal, which you might see some Precision Pro rangefinders out at the PGA Championship this year. Even more than that, their their new one of a kind golf app offers advanced insight into your golf game that will help measure your performance, let you know where you can improve. So search the App Store or the Android Marketplace for the Precision Pro Golf app. Our listeners also receive twenty dollars off the NX9 slope by using our coupon code No Laying Up. That's all one word. So go to PrecisionProGolf.com. Use coupon code No Laying Up at checkout for twenty dollars off our favorite rangefinder, the NX9 slope. Swing with confidence. Hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Here's Matt McNeely. All right. So what do you think my first question is going to be about? Probably the club. The club tour. I knew you'd know it. I absolutely knew you'd know I, it. Walking up the fairway, I go, yeah, Solly probably liked that one. <laughs> oh God, you don't need to feed my ego like that. If you're thinking about that in the 72nd hole of the tournament. Uh, so what I saw on TV at, at Pebble Beach was somebody in contention at a tournament that was absolutely sending it. It was there was no hesitation swings. There was almost no sign of nerves. It looked like somebody that was just going out to try to get it. Am I, am I on point with how you were feeling in that moment? You're correct for the second 17 holes of that, that round. Okay. Um, the first round, I made probably the most soft, timid, wimpy bogey of the tournament. And walking to the second tee, walked back about 150 yards. I, just, I, I said, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to hit one more timid, wimpy, scared, nervous, whatever you want to call it, shot the rest of the day. And... Uh, it was actually pretty liberating standing over every shot going, I have one job and just don't be timid here. Be mm-hmm. aggressive, be committed. And uh, that's what I did. I picked, picked the line just left of the tree on 18, roasted one and picked a line at the AT&T logo, roasted one into the green. And it's a lot more fun way to play. Well, is that something you feel like you've done in the past in those situations where you've kind of battled some just being timid or whatnot? And what causes that? I mean, it's, 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 it's easy to tell yourself, hey, I'm going to just swing with the utmost confidence and aggression all day, but how do you actually 
channel that and put it into play? And what what kind of an effect can that have on golf shots compared to like being timid or soft or conservative doesn't necessarily lead to better, safer, conservative shots. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah. I'm usually pretty calculated on how I go about things, but, uh, I've noticed that I've been in contention to win a couple times and haven't performed how I wanted to out here. Um, I had a chance to win at the Barracuda last year. Uh, didn't really finish how I wanted to even getting going on some Sundays. It seems like it leveled off. And, uh, after making that bogey on one where I just, you know, took one less club off the tee cause I was afraid it might run into the bunker to try to rip an eight iron instead of smoothing a seven iron to get it back to the pin rolled off the front and two kind of very poor putts, uh, ended up making a bogey there. I just, I noticed the pattern there and just said, man, if I, if I snap hook this one, I don't care as long as I gave it a rip and I really gave myself an opportunity to hit a great shot. And, um, I can't, I didn't hit perfect shots all day. I hit a couple of bad ones, but I could live with it because I knew it was coming from a place that I was trying to hit a great one. Do you think that's going to be something that is easy is never the right word, but easy to channel in the future? As far as, you know, now that you've had a taste of that in the final round, do you think that's going to be something you can draw on? Uh, definitely. And, um, that being said, it's still, uh, recognizing my tendency and knowing where my, my body and my mind go in those situations, um, it's going to come up again. And again, sometimes I just don't recognize it, uh, as quickly as I'd like to, but when I do, I feel like I have a really effective override or way to deal with it. However you want to look at it. And it was really validating to see those results on Sunday afternoon. Hmm. I, I, I might be imagining that you said this a couple years ago when we talked, but it, even if you didn't say it, I've taken it with me and I've kind of enjoyed this kind of mindset, which is you said something along the lines of, and this may have been the program that we played at Hazeltine, but it, along the lines of you don't worry too much about your bad golf and that your pro, your pro golf career is going to be defined by getting the most out of your good golf, meaning you don't beat yourself up too much about miscuts. It's mostly just like, Hey, how do I get the most out of when I'm playing well? Does that sound right? Maybe you can define that in better terms. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the way professional golf is structured is very exponential. So the difference between 55th and 56th is tiny compared to the difference between first and second. And you know, the difference between second and tied for second, which was what that uh, birdie on 18 got me was I think in the ballpark of 70 points, which is a top 10. So it's a game within a game. And when you're playing well, you have to really optimize and I guess just take advantage of your opportunities. And it makes sense when you're, when you have your, your, uh, your good stuff going and you're climbing up that leaderboard, it gets more exciting. It gets more fun. That's what people care about. That's what they're watching on TV. Um, the harsh reality is nobody really cares who's in 55th. So, uh, it's, it's kind of a game within a game. You got to play well enough the first 60 holes to give yourself an opportunity to feel those things and feel those nerves and that pressure. And then it's another game to figure out how to execute and finish higher up on the leaderboard where you want to. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's just because, you know, we've had this discussion in the past. But I see, like, so far this season, you've made seven cuts and you're top 25 in five of them. So there's not a lot of those kind of middling around in that 40th place. It seems like when you do make the cut, you have been able to take it inside that top 20, whatever that whatever that may be. Am I reading too much into that, or do you see? It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a pattern. You know, if you tee it up on Sunday and you're in 40th place, you pin your ears back because, uh, you know, the 
like I said, the difference between a 69 and a 70 is not that big compared to the difference between a 64 and a 65. So um, it's also a lot of fun on the PGA Tour that you can move up the leaderboard with a pair of 69s on the weekend. You don't have to shoot 64, 63 like you did on the Corn Ferry Tour, especially if you make the cut on a number. Some places separate more, but it feels like solid golf gets you a lot further out here than it does on the Corn Ferry. And racking up a bunch of 20, 25th place finishes is a quick way to keep your card. Take me there because what you said is interesting about, you know, harder, being it harder to separate yourself maybe on the Corn Ferry Tour. I don't know if this phrase or this saying makes any sense, but I almost think at least at times or in some way, it's harder to make it to the PGA Tour than it is to stay on the PGA Tour or compete on the PGA Tour. Am I, am I on the right train of thought with any of that? I think you're correct for most players. Um, I think the Corn Ferry Tour is, is a mentally really, really challenging. I'd say as far as golf skills go, the PGA Tour is a much more difficult test, but the season on the Corn Ferry Challenge is a mental grind. I uh, played 30 events my first two seasons out there, and that takes a, a different toll on your body and your mind. And um, That's not 30 spread out over 52 weeks. That's 30 spread out over a lot less weeks than that. It's not, it's not spaced out like the PGA Tour. Exactly, exactly. And then you look at the top, you know, there, there's kind of three tours within the tour on the PGA Tour. There's the just got on the tour tour. There's the on the tour tour. And then there's the top... 50 in the world tour and those guys are playing WGCs and majors and uh, building their schedule around 15 to 20 events playing 22 maybe 23 if that um, there's the just got on the tour tour which is the corn fairy category where you're playing every event you get in you're trying to reshuffle and those first five six events you play are so important to keep uh, getting those starts and then there's the 125 tour which is where I am right now um, finished 68th on the FedEx Cup last year where I'm picking my schedule. I've got a better idea of which courses I like and which ones I don't. You're in the players, which you, for the first time, correct? Exactly. I was sitting here a second alternate last year as the world started to end. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's very different, but, uh, I think the PGA tour suits me better because, uh, even when I don't have my best stuff, I can manage my way around to a respectable finish better than you can on a track race at yep. the Corn Ferry Tour. That makes a lot of sense. I forget if it was on the pod when we when we talked or, or if it was before that or even after that, but I felt like your your perspective on your talent level was interesting. And it wasn't coming from a place of non-confidence. It was just more of awareness. I think you talked about on the pod just talking about your success at Stanford. To you felt a bit like careering, for lack of a better word, in terms of you played better for a stretch of time than you thought was represented maybe underneath at, at the roots of your game. One, is that an accurate way of summing it up? And two, has that evolved over the last few years? And, and I say that again, it's not in you're not down on yourself necessarily, but you needed to be aware of all of what was going to take to be at a sustained level. Correct. Yeah. I feel like my results really outpaced my experience in 2015. I went from kind of a part-time golfer, more, more full-time hockey player to uh, being a top ranked amateur in the world in about two years. And a little bit of that was just ignorance and ignorance is bliss sometimes to just go out there and really enjoyed these feelings I was feeling coming down the stretch, hit great shots, had 
sky high confidence, felt like I couldn't hit it outside of 10 feet with a nine iron and uh, just, just took dead aim at the flag. And then started to struggle a little bit, uh, especially starting on tour. Didn't see the immediate success that I think a lot of people expected of me uh, because they see one or two or three guys a year do it. That doesn't mean it's easy or it's you know something to be expected of someone. And uh, I really struggled for a while with parts of my game, but uh, I think that foundation's a lot more solid now. I think, I think I'm a way better player now than I was in college, that's for sure. In college, I made the cut in a bunch of PJ Tour events, but I don't think I finished inside the top 50, maybe 55, 45, something like that. And now I'm, uh, I have more shots. I'm more experienced with different conditions. I know how to handle a season better, the stresses of a season. But still, to me, it's so impressive what these guys do. They come out and they win in their first 10, 15 starts. It's so impressive. screw the curve up for so many guys, right? It becomes like a, uh, what, why isn't Akshay Batia dominating out there? It's like, well, guys, man, it takes most people a lot of time to get to this point. Yeah, guys, yeah, I mean, Dustin Johnson wasn't Dustin Johnson until a couple of years older than I am now. So, uh, but no one's no one's saying he didn't get there fast enough because he's the best player in the world. So it's interesting. I mean, he just you you can't beat yourself up too much uh, for not being where you want to be. Um, but that being said, I just I'm having a lot of fun. It's it's been fun trying to, to make little gains here and there. Because you can't race past so many of the things that I think I I, I just I see a confidence in you now that is, comes from a, just a better foundation. Now, does that make, is that accurate? Would you say that is accurate? It's it's funny. Before Pebble, um, I, I didn't play well in Palm Springs. Missed the cut at Torrey, which is a place that I love playing at. And uh, going to Pebble, my game felt great. Butch said I was swinging at best he's ever seen. Uh, putting felt pretty good. And uh, I was just thinking, man, what else do I have to do? I feel like I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything well right now. Um, I'm not seeing the results. I was a little frustrated, and then I go out there and play great. And I go, huh, I guess I wasn't that far off. Just just be a little more patient with myself and, and don't stress about it. And, uh, you know, it's... But, but I think there is another thing, too. That wasn't the strongest field at Pebble. Now we're playing with pretty much all of the top 100 players in the world this week at the players and I have noticed that there's another level at those invitational tournaments The greens are faster and firmer the roughs longer the fairways are tighter and the players are better and it's another level and so Now that's my focus this week at the players is do I expect myself to contend? No, am I going to do everything I can obviously but um I learn I'm, I'm gonna learn a lot about what I need to do to make that next jump and to uh, be really, really good at playing and in, in these conditions and, and at this level. Cause like I said, there's a tour within the tour and I think I'm getting better. Uh, I've, you know, the opposite field events, I feel like I've played in pretty well. They're closer to a corn fairy setup than they are to the players or uh, an Arnold Palmer invitational mm -hmm. or Riv or something like that. But, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm learning and I'm getting more experience in those conditions. And when I say learning, I mean, it's just a familiarity with shots that you have to hit. Like there's, there's tighter lies. You have to spin it off a tighter lie. You have to hit a putt with more break and less speed. You have to kind of shape a driver in to hold the fairway, things like that, that, 
you know, say Puerto Rico or Punta Cana or, or even Tahoe, you don't have to, you just rip it. And uh, there's, there's just a little bit more difficult level of difficulty, obviously, in these, these events. Let's take a quick break here to check in with our friends at Golf Blueprint. I know you guys have heard me talk about Golf Blueprint. If you are serious about getting better at golf or you want to be serious about getting better at golf, you need to practice. Uh, a lot of players don't know how to practice. My, I would include myself in this. I go to the range, eh, hit a few eight irons, hit a few six irons, hope to find it. I never really had a plan until I started working with these guys. I kind of put too much emphasis on what you know, what happened in the most recent rounds, what I've been recently struggling with, kind of misjudged the areas of the game that needed work. Golf Blueprint, they use an algorithm of decades of research on learning theory, predictive analytics, and golf data to create kind of a one-of-a-kind improvement plan tailored to your game. It's focused and structured practice. It's just like if you if you were going to the gym, like you needed to, you needed stuff written out. At least I do. I need something written out. What I need to be doing each day. How many sets of this? Blah blah blah. It's just like that. It's just like a personal training program. Go to their website, golfblueprint.com. You're going to see a great quote from one DJ Pihowski raving exactly about that, about it being a personal training program. You can see all kinds of crazy stats about how much people have improved using their product. Their average improvement, 2.7 strokes in three months. Several of the higher handicapped golfers improved by five to six shots. So currently there's like a master's week slash no laying up discount that uh, those that commit to them through the rest of the winter receive 15% off monthly membership dues. And uh, winter members have first access to full season memberships starting up here in the spring. So go to golfblueprint.com slash join. You can get all kinds of information about how you can get better at golf through the Golf Blueprint practice plans. So go to golfblueprint.com slash join to find out a bunch of information about how you can get better at golf through their practice plans. Let's get back to Mav McNeely. It seems that the question that is asked on the PGA Tour, emphasized more on the PGA Tour than the Corn Ferry Tour, and it just comes from the, the, truly a limit in golf courses can do this, but it seems the demand on driver seems, exp, not, I don't know if exponentially is the right word, but seems way, way greater on the PGA Tour. Is that something you have felt in, in your last two years here on the Tour? Oh, for sure. Um, I think that's one of the things that's helped me on the PGA Tour is I'm not the longest and I'm not the straightest, but I'm a pretty good combination of the two. And... Uh, the more chances I have to hit driver, the easier it is for me to separate because th it's really hard to make pars from the rough on the PGA Tour uh, unless you're hitting at 370 right. like, like we saw. But uh, the, the rough is thicker and the greens are firmer. It just becomes harder to hit the greens. Uh, it's less, you have less control over where you leave the ball and the up and downs are more difficult. And um, in that way, driving is more important. But uh, I, I will still say that putting is the great separator it's it's so much easier to gain four shots around putting than it is in any other part of the game mm -hmm. and uh luckily the hole's the same size everywhere we go it, it's e so help me out with, out with that it is easier to gain that in, in i think in the short in the short term right i would say and we've emphasized a lot mark brody and all the strokes game would and puts a ton of emphasis on strokes gain off the tee and approaching the green right but big separators round by round. It's hard to gain. You can't gain four shots off the tee. I mean, Bryson in his best round doesn't do that, but you can gain four strokes on the green. Yeah. Bryson, yeah. Bryson led the tour last year at 1.001 strokes gained off the tee. And there were 15 guys that gained more than one stroke around on average putting. Hmm. So, um, there's, and Bryson was one of them. So <laughs> he, had, he had a great year, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, my recipe is always going to be 
gaining a few shots with the driver, not losing with the approach, uh, cleaning up around the green, chipping it inside eight to 10 feet where I can give my putter a, a realistic chance and wait for one of those weeks that I do gain seven, eight, nine shots putting. And, and that's when we might start to have some fun. Hmm. Tell me about that. You say you said not losing strokes approach. Why, why, why is that goal different than, than some of the other goals? That's, uh, that's the weakest part of my game uh, right now. It's been improving and I've gained strokes approach in almost every event so far this year, uh, except for Amex. A few, few too many water balls there. But for me, at least last year, that was what I needed to do. I had a really, really good year with the putter. But it's also good because I feel like if that stuff in the middle, you, you got to drive it well. And I, if I putt it well, I can make up for a lot of imperfections in the middle by managing my, my ball to uh, the right spots. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can kind of play smart. You can't play smart off the tee. You still have to hit the fairway and you can't play smart putting. You have to make the putt, but uh, you can kind of manage the stuff in the middle. Does anything related to numbers? So I think about this a lot with numbers. I'm almost scared from like my personal game to like really look at and understand the numbers. Does anything, when you look at them, does anything feel very different in real life than it looks on paper to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, like I, I wonder about some of these guys with driver. If you, I feel like I'm absolutely smoking the driver and you look up and I'm losing strokes to the rest of the field. You know, I just wondered if anything like that sticks out. Um, I think it's all, it all kind of lines up where I think, but one of the interesting things that I have, uh, I've been tracking and this is kind of, this will kind of answer that question is strikes. And for me, a strike is either a penalty shot, a two chip. So you miss the green inside 50 yards or a three putt. And I think the average listener will go, well, that's gotta be easy for a pro. They should never do that. Uh, I found that if I have one or less per round, I'll be in the top 10 and it, Hmm. almost never fails. So what rounds where I have strikes, my strokes gain sucks. If you know, cause you're basically adding three quarters of a shot every time you have a strike. And at Pebble, I had one strike for the week. And that was when I was called for a penalty when my oh. ball moved behind the fifth green. So, um, yeah, it's no strikes and I had a chance to win. So it's interesting. And it's a different mindset when you play to avoid penalty shots leave the ball in a spot where you're going to have a putt for par and have good speed. Cause I think, yeah, you touched on it there. Most, when you watch golf on TV, you don't see a lot of those holes where a guy is totally out of position, has to punch out to 65 yards, goes just long with, like you just don't, usually the guys in contention aren't doing that, but those things happen over the course of 72 holes to a lot, a lot of players. They do. It's, you'd be surprised. I think I'd say the tour averages one around at least. Hmm. Oh, that'd be an interesting one to, to, to track because you, yeah, you're talking about how you said you seem very in tune with what all of these numbers mean. You say that costs you 0.75 strokes. So it sounds like you are very much in these numbers. What have you, what have you learned? What has that taught you? What's if we're sitting here two, three years ago, what could you teach yourself? Uh, the, the old version of yourself in that regard? Well, I actually have a guy that helps me with all that now, a guy named Hunter Stewart. He was my uh, Walker Cup partner. He takes a deep dive into all my stats, so I don't have to worry about it now. He'll just tell me, You're, you suck from 100 to 125, so I'll go do some wedge numbers and wedge combines. But uh, no, he, it, it's very helpful. I would still say that uh, avoiding strikes is one of the most uh, important things you can do. And you, know, you have to work on hitting the driver in the center of the face to do that. You have to work on controlling a one-way miss with your iron shots and like what I always do putting is just work on speed and do those three things tend to help your score um but yeah it's there's there's a lot to be learned but I 
I'd rather just not do that all myself and have someone just give me one or two or three bullet points that I can go, three actionable things that I can go work on and, and make myself better. What, what's the value of, of getting to play with, I imagine to this point, you know, a wide variety of other PGA Tour pros and seeing the things they do, seeing the places they hit it. For me personally, playing with even many, many tour level pros, like one, watching three drives go bang, bang, bang right there. When I got up to hit my, my ball, it helped. It was just like, okay, now I've saw where the good players are trying to hit this right there. My eye, my eye line changed, my focus changed so much differently, you know, than any other golf at any other level. Have you experienced any of that at the PGA tour level? Definitely. I've, everyone on the PGA tour does something really, really well. Like, uh, everyone talks a lot about trying to uh, improve your weaknesses but one of the things that guys do out here is they always bring their big guns they always have uh, their strengths uh, with them this their strengths are a strength rory if, you know if rory didn't drive it good he probably wouldn't play great but every week he drives it great and uh, you know for me that's that's my putting and my driving if my putting and my driving are sharp i'm going to be fine i, I may you know it doesn't guarantee i'm going to be in the top 10 but uh, i i can't neglect my strengths and that's what i've noticed that um, everyone spends a lot of time, more than you'd think, making sure that the best parts of their game are completely sharp and firing on all cylinders, and uh, it is fun to watch for sure. Hmm. What's interesting in, in hearing you talk about that too is I feel like approaching the green is the stat that correlates the highest with scoring. That's where you have the most upside currently, by your own definition, that that's what you need to improve on the most. So if you got these other things dialed and you start really honing in on that, you should not exponentially rise in, in what you're trying to be, but that should be, that's, that's your path to improving. It sounds like promise it'd make, it'd make golf a lot easier if I didn't <laughs> have to chip as much. <laughs> you, you mentioned a couple of things, one being butch and I want to get to that, but you mentioned also the stressors of tour life, a couple seasons under your belt now of doing that. What, what are the stressors of tour life? I would say that the lack of practice time is one of the stressors. And I know that sounds really weird, but we play so much golf. I play probably 100 holes a week when I'm on tour. That's 27, uh, 27 practice round holes, nine a day, and 72 holes of tournament golf. And if you do that 25 times, that's 2,500 holes. And when you come home, you have 25 weeks, you're gonna take some time off, uh, play a little bit at home, but you just don't have the time that you do in college to sit there and beat balls and figure stuff out. I've really had to streamline things. Um, fitness has been a tough one. I, I was in really good shape in college and high school, played a lot of ice hockey, but um, you, know, there, you don't have as much energy when a round of golf you're walking five, six miles. And uh, it's, that, that's been a learning curve for me, trying to be more disciplined with uh, at least doing a little something on the road a couple days a week and then working out more and even practicing less at home, making sure that my body is uh, good to go for a three, four week stretch when I hit, hit the road again. Another one that I've been playing around with is just trying to get good meals, trying to figure out how to eat well, uh, looking at renting some houses instead of staying at hotels with a kitchen so that I can at least make something or um, you know stay with a couple people where we're, we're cooking and trading trading cooking every night and uh, that that's that stuff makes a big difference for me too that that's interesting too because I think that when I travel to I'm, I'm you know you're trying to balance especially with golf like your timing is one kind of a little bit weather dependent if it's a bad weather day you're going to want to practice while well, it's good blah, blah blah your tee times are going to be different thursday and friday depending on how you play you don't know what your tee times are going to be saturday sunday you don't are not able to get into a routine when you're trying to eat healthy 
the routine is difficult, right? They may, they're going to have food at the course, but it might not be what you're trying to eat. It might not be at the timing you're looking at. That's something I don't hear people talk about a lot, but I think it's a very real thing, especially if you're going to unfamiliar locations. You don't have the places you know to go, you know, the smoothie place here, the blah, blah, blah. Uh, that seems, that's, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anybody bring that up, but I, I feel that when I travel too. Yeah, we have really good food on the PGA Tour and, and dining. Um, I, I still bring an avocado, something I learned on the Corn Ferry where, uh, we didn't quite have PGA Tour level culinary experiences, I'll call them, in the in the uh, player dining. And I, I just bring an avocado for every meal. I just add that to whatever I'm eating, and it, it uh, lasts me a little bit longer. And uh, I, I still do that here, but uh, eating dinners, I, I, restaurants get a little old after a while. And sometimes you just want something super plain and simple and healthy and uh, chicken and a vegetable or something that you make at home. So... Uh, that's a lot easier to do with a kitchen than uh, in, in a residence in. Well, I always struggle too with f- fitness. You mentioned balancing fitness with you know rest and all these things. Because for me, when, when I'm if I'm like lifting weights or if I'm in the gym and then I'm going to go play golf same day or the next day, my body's kind of adjusting to maybe I just don't work out enough and I and I'm not at a level of fitness to you know actually you know ad- have that body adjustment. But it feels tough to balance. I wonder about these dudes, Bryce in a different category, but finishes a round of golf and goes and lifts afterwards and how you, how you balance your body throughout, you know, the course of a week while also trying to get rest. Cause that sounds like you mentioned that as a challenge as well. Yeah. The, the heaviest weight I touch, uh, during a tournament week is two pounds. I do a lot of shoulder rotator cuff stuff, a lot of stretching bands, uh, a lot of resistance bands and stuff like that. So that I'm not fatiguing myself. I'm just activating things, keeping things and trying not to lose a bunch of strength. Um, and I always work out after I play on the road, but when I'm home, I work out before I play. I kind of like to force myself to play and practice tired and, uh, just get myself up and out of bed to to the gym appointment that I got to make and, uh, and get myself going on my off week. So that's, that's been a, a better routine that I've established lately. And partially out of necessity, I, I kind of strained my shoulder middle of last year and golf is so hard when you're not a hundred percent. So I realized that I do need to make a little bit more of an effort to, to maintain that and have a fitness level just to not get hurt. A, a baseline level of strength and fitness that uh, will protect me over the course of the year. Because even last week, I was getting physically tired hacking out of that rough. It's, it's, that was nasty. That's, and that's another thing that I think people don't appreciate. The, the golf isn't grueling in itself. Like you see a lot of different body types out on tour and in professional golf and it's not like football and all that thi- but you are relying on so much of your body and core being there day after day to establish a route otherwise like you're not lasting four rounds if your body is different every single day drastically there's no way you can have a a game that like is able to overcome all of that yeah yeah for sure uh i see it a ton when i go home and skate i mean i I feel like I've, if I haven't skated for three months, I feel like I haven't touched a, a stick in a year. And uh, I, I can't cut as hard as I used to. I can't shoot as hard as I used to. And that's, for me, a big wake-up call that, man, that's, yeah, I know I'm swinging a golf club every day, so it doesn't seem like I'm losing too much speed and strength. But uh, it's a very similar motion, and I see it very drastically when it's something that I haven't done for a couple months. So I'm sure if I took a golf swing from today and if I didn't work out for two months and made another golf swing two months from now it would be a huge difference what's what's the biggest highlight pairing you've had so far on the PGA Tour 
I played on Saturday with uh, Steve Stricker. That was a lot of fun. Talk about the nicest guy on the planet. Um, this year's Ryder Cup captain. That was pretty cool. I would say uh, it was fun playing with Jason Day and Brian Stewart on Sunday at Pebble. That was pretty cool. But one of the things I've also started to do is try and play practice rounds with more good players and just watch what they do, ask them a few questions about their process. And Any highlights there? Played a practice round with Rory at uh, CJ Cup. Didn't get in, but that was fun either way. That's a productive week anyways, yeah. Definitely. Um, I just played with uh, Webb Simpson and Bubba Watson today. That was fun and entertaining. Uh, the cut Bubba hit off 18 at Sawgrass was nasty. He started that thing over the 13th green and sliced it back to the right side of the fairway. It was it was right of the cart path, and he didn't even blink. What? It was it was. <laughs> I, I saw it and I went, oh my gosh. And that thing came right back perfect. And uh, even if he hits in the water, he's dropping way up there. So not a bad shot. Uh, I don't have that one. Think of think of Bubba whatever you want. He is the guy that I'm always like, if you go, for people that are going to go watch golf, they're like, hey, who should I go see? Go watch Bubba. That dude plays golf different than most guys, almost everybody on tour. I don't know how he aims, but he just gets up there and rips it and high, low, cuts, draws. I mean, just, it was really fun to watch today. I wanted that too. What's the difference between aiming 65 yards right and 70 yards right for how much, for how much he cuts it? Um, well, let's talk a bit about Butch in the kind of, I guess, how, you know, I've read a little bit about some stuff he's helped you with. Is he officially, he's officially coaches you, is that correct? Yeah, and, we've been working together for almost two years now. Okay. And how did that, you know, how did that relationship come about? Uh, Danielle started working with him a couple months before, and I was really struggling with my uh, swing, and I was searching just the definition of searching it was a new feel a new thought every day or sometimes two in a single day and uh, my head was spinning and I just wanted some simplicity and uh, Danielle mentioned that said oh yeah by the way if you ever want a second opinion Butch said he'd be happy to and I go, really he'd, he'd see me and so uh, I went in and um, I was hitting balls warming up uh, and just hitting a couple nine irons, kind of three-quarter nine irons, just getting loose. And uh, he, he came and watched me hit three, and he goes, all right, come on inside. I see what you're doing. We'll get you cleaned up. I'll show you on the video. I was like, I haven't even hit a, a full shot yet. <laughs> and sure enough, we've been working on the same thing just about two years later. The guy's like guys like a broken record sometimes, wide to wide, lots of body rotation, but it works. And uh, we've been working on the same stuff for almost two years and getting better and better at it. And the results are showing, which is really cool. Wide to wide is just width in the backswing and, and on the follow through. Correct. And if you look at Tiger Woods 2000, he's wide, wide and has a ton of body rotation. And I don't think anyone's ever hit the golf ball better. Hmm. Is Does the width come from arms like arm distance from your body or is it more in the wrists because i'm i'm trying to learn more about the golf swing i don't know a lot about it every time i learn something about like my own swing it's like a new line i never i've never thought about my wrist before right what was your knowledge of the golf swing like before this and has he helped kind of with your general understanding because it, it's you as a pro you can't just always be reliant on your on your coach there to fix it so you have to understand it and know what to look for and know how to fix it mid-round mid-tournament in all kinds of scenarios so yeah i mean i i still imagine one of the first thing butch told me to do he said there's two things we got to do we got to get you not backing up through the ball and we got to get you more width on the backswing and so he stood behind me down the line a little bit uh in front of me 
and just said, try and hit me in the belly with your club on the way back. And so I was really hanging on my left side and backing up. And so he got me to really feel like I was trying to hit him in the belly on the way back and then just go as hard as I want forward through the golf ball, which felt really weird and really strange, but uh, it's it's been way better and picked up speed, hitting it more solid, and it's a lot more repeatable for sure. Because it's not only knowledge of a swing and knowing what to look for with a coach, it's also the way it gets communicated to you. So like, what, what's his style like? It's you've, you've, you've been through a couple things there, but... I've worked with some with, you know, Corey Lumberg and Cameron McCormick at Altus, and they've asked me questions and stuff while I do it. And that gets me working on it, right? Instead of them telling me what to do, they're asking me things that make me think about it, and that leads to an understanding. Yeah, I think what separates Butch from anyone else I've ever seen is just how good his eye is. He can, like I said, he saw me hit three shots and knew what to tell me with those three shots. Um, he's, people ask him if he uses TrackMan much. He says, I have two TrackMan. And they go, oh, really? How do you use them? He goes, yeah, they're the ones right, right between my ears. And uh, he, just, he has an incredible eye. We have these uh, plaques uh, at his uh, range in Golf Academy at Rio Seco that are from 50 to 150 yards, six by six metal plaques that we hit wedges at all day. And he is 100% on early calling. He'll, he'll call it before this wedge apex. And he goes, bang. And every single time, bang right off the plaque um i said you're really good at that he goes well i've seen a lot of shots and uh it's, that's you know it, it, the way he delivers the message too is so concise so clear and he's got a lot of different ways of saying the right thing and somehow knows the right way to say it on a given day because hmm. yeah i've always just wondered you know at, at your guys level when things are going well or not well or different things are, are varying it's not usually by much is that fair to say i mean or do you do you look at golf swings you you make and and see things that really stick out to you now or is the difference so small that you almost need a, a different set of eyes to see it i think you can actually see it you just have to know what to look for yeah. and uh it's not obviously i'm not butch Harmon. i don't know what to look for as well as he does he knows exactly what to look for and, and what uh, what he sees but as he shows me that, I start to see it pretty clearly. And I can tell when I'm backing up. I can tell when I'm getting a little narrow on the way back or hanging on my left side. Uh, but that just comes from repetition. And um, when we go in to, vi to get video, he's using the video to show me. He already knows what mm -hmm. I'm doing, which is uh, reverse of what I think a lot of other coaches do. But that's just the way he works. He's very old school. And, uh, you know, but more than anything, the most valuable thing from Butch is I go there and have a ton of fun just hitting balls and practicing and yeah, hanging out with him. And he really believe he makes you feel confident in yourself. He makes you feel that he believes in you and you walk out of there feeling like you can go shoot 65 every time. Cause those, those sessions are more mental exercises than they are physical a lot of the time. Is that fair to say? Uh, that is true. Because they're in charge of your psyche too. They're in charge of pumping you up, getting you confident, getting your swagger back. Because you swing the club best when you have swagger. So part of their exercise is just getting your brain kind of out of the way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's He, he pumps you up with confidence, but it's a good confidence. And when Butch tells you you're doing something right, you feel really good about it. Yeah, that's a very fair point. <laughs> Um, well, all right. We made it 30 minutes before the name Danielle came up, which you brought up first, which I was, that was my trigger. If you brought it up, I was going to be able to ask. No, I'm kidding. Your girlfriend is somewhat famously, I'd say, Danielle Kang on the LPGA tour. What's it like having a partner that's kind of on the same journey that you're on? You know, same professional golf journey, 
that path is diverges a lot because you guys are in two different locations a lot of the time. But what, what's what's that been like? Uh, it's been really cool. I mean, practice partner. Um, to, I mean, you're practicing with a top five player in the world for a couple of years. You're going to get better. It's uh, she has a really unique approach to the game, and it's been really cool to kind of get inside her head and and hear what she's thinking, how she plays shots, how she approaches things, everything from managing her team to uh, playing golf. And th- she sees shots. Um, she tells me she, she's, she sees shots like an onion sometimes and then just eliminates the ones that aren't going to work, picks one and hits it. And the number of times she'll draw it with wind off the right to a tucked right pin is really funny to me, but she always throws it in there at about 10 feet and uh, works out great. But it's also cool too because this is a very unique lifestyle that we have. We're on the road as much as we are, and the the things we encounter in a day to day, you know, life as a, a professional golfer are pretty unique. And uh, it's it's cool to have someone that understands that. And you don't, I imagine, there's a you know not there's a a language that you both speak, right? That you don't have to try to relay a way you're feeling about something, right? You just skip past that and probably are able to you know connect on a totally different level rather than. I'm struggling with this, this, and this, you know, somebody that is, is doing the exact same thing has to be able to understand those things. Yeah, for sure. She's been on tour since I think 2010. She's you know, been doing this for 10 years. And so I'm, I'm a, I'm a newbie compared to that. There's, there's so many, uh, experiences she's had on the golf course that, you know, I, I feel a little bit more prepared having heard her approach to it, how things went, things that she did well, things that she didn't. And, it's uh, it's cool. She just, honestly, all she tells me is just to be patient with myself and and uh, and, and trust myself and um, not to feel like everything has to come together get to come together immediately. Well, I, th- I think we I think I asked this when we shot the video at Hazel Team, but I think I, I said, are you guys similar personalities or different personalities? What was your answer to that? Uh, no, no, very very different personalities. <laughs> but same values is what you, that was your rehearsed line. So I think yeah, what's I guess you know having such a public relationship too. What what has that been like? Has, has it you know as it has gone on? It's I mean I'm a pretty private person. I don't have social media. Um, I don't partially for a lot of reasons. I just don't really like social media. Um, there's a lot of good that can and and does come from it, but honestly, I just, I just like to be in my own bubble sometimes. Um, I like to do my own thing. And, uh, that being said, we, we have a pretty cool setup that we get to go practice out at TPC Summerlin a bunch. And it's definitely different. I, I tell my caddy all the time to answer your question about being public is, would be walking down the fairway and this person will just have their phone out videoing us walking down the fairway. And I looked at Travis and said, you know, it's really, really strange that for six and a half hours a day, we're in a social scenario where it's socially acceptable to take a video of somebody else just in the open. You're not going to walk down the, the aisle of a grocery store filming someone. <laughs> But it's that's that's what we're doing. We're we're in an area where there's cameras on us all the time. People can take pictures and and all that, and it's just different. But it's it comes with the territory, and sometimes it's just kind of weird to me. But uh, it's it's really cool that people take an interest, and uh, if people didn't take an interest, I wouldn't have a job. 
you're you are in the entertainment business it's uh, it's it's weird i think i would imagine you know to, to grow up playing golf that you know you're in the competitive golf business for a long time and then all of a sudden at the biggest stage now you're in the entertainment business it's it's different so who gets who gets recognized in public more when you guys are together you or her definitely her every time i get recognized and she doesn't it's a huge deal it's happened twice not that i'm counting <laughs> I may have been cued in on one of those stories when we were getting ready for this, but it happened recently to you. Is that Newbarth was telling me that when we were out there somewhere and you said you were going to hold it over her head forever. Oh yeah. We were also playing night golf at Angel Park in Vegas one time and I hit this gap wedge and there are a couple of high school kids out there and they said, wait, are you Maverick McNeely? Can we get a picture? And so Danielle took the picture and they go, wait, you're Danielle Kane. <laughs> so uh, I was, I was pretty happy about that. Well, uh, so again, last time we chatted was, was I believe between, it was fall of 2018. It was going to be between your two corn fairy seasons, right? So you finished 63rd on the money list, uh, in year one, and then you graduated to 23rd in year two, a lot changed in that time period. Take us back to those corn fairy days, right? Where, you know, you're, you're out there being a professional for the first time and, you know, you're, you're again, we, we covered this in the past, but you're dealing with the perception that people think you're flying private and, you know, this this funded journey that, that a lot of people think you're on. But you set the scene very well at the time of how that wasn't the case. But how did you how did you get, you know, from that level where you're kind of struggling on the Corn Ferry Tour, but keeping your status to now being a PGA Tour professional? Uh, I, I like the PGA Tour a lot. It's, this is uh, this is the tour you want to be on if you're playing professional golf. I love the fact that all the promotions in our our game are just earned. It's very cut and dry what you have to do if you want to get into a tournament. Well, here's the criteria you have to meet. You have to shoot this many shots. You have to win this tournament. And you got to make this number on the money list and. You have complete control and you also have complete ownership over that. And I think that's really cool. Um, no one's opinion of your golf game matters, whether you keep your card or not. No one's opinion of you as a person matters, uh, whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. But um, that's that's just the way it goes. You got to get to 125 or better to keep your card. You got to get to top 30 to make East Lake, And uh, it's really fun to know that any week you can completely change your life as a golfer. If you win, you change your life, especially having not won before. And that's really cool to get up and because I feel so fortunate that we have that ability because that's something that's pretty rare uh, for a lot of people that if I was the player's champion in six days, that would completely change my life. Well, I remember reading uh, Ryan Labner's piece. Ryan helps me prepare a lot for interviews because he's done a lot of great work that is very well archived. Just about some of the some of the things you kind of experienced of all the consecutive events and times of burnout already on that you know young in, into your young career. Kind of take us there. What what that was like? You know, this grind of Corn Ferry is you don't get to pick and choose your weeks. Like you you need to play a lot of those events to try to get on the PGA Tour, but at the same time trying to find the balance of what helps you play your best golf. It sounds like something, a lesson you learned along the way. Yeah, it's, um, I learned it really well towards the end of my second season on the Corn Ferry Tour. I had gotten off to a great start, finished second in the fifth event of the year, and then really struggled again through the middle of the season. And I think there were eight events left before Portland, which was the last, uh, last event of the regular season. And I was up to, I think, 10th or something in the, 
uh, corn fairy points list and I was just slowly bleeding as the year went on and I fell outside the top 30. I was just trying to hang on, grinding out cuts and not really doing anything on the weekend, was considering playing nine in a row. And finally, I and just actually just started working with Butch too and I was hitting it great or much better at least and felt like I was giving myself a chance. And finally I uh, finished, I forget which tournament it was, but uh, I finished and I was thinking of going home for two days and then going back to play in Springfield, Missouri. And my caddy talked me out of it. He says, just go get your, get your mind right and we'll have a couple chances to, uh, to go play great here at the end of the season. So I went home. Um, I remember I didn't practice for three or four days. I just, I built a couple dressers from Ikea for my apartment and just did, uh, did stuff around the house, soaked up some air conditioning, slept a lot, um, did a little bit, a little bit of working out, a little bit of hockey, and then went to the Bay area early before the Ellie Mae classic, um, played some golf with my brothers, uh, shot 65 at my home course and went out and finished third at the Ellie Mae Classic, which locked up my card. And uh, that was a lesson to me that um, doing more doesn't necessarily equate to more. Less is more sometimes. Uh, it's a cliche, but it really took, I really need to be hit over the head with that message to, for it to sink in, that sometimes just making sure that your body is happy and healthy and, and rested is all you need to do. How insane does nine in a row sound to you now? There's no chance <laughs> I would want to do nine in a row. I would, oh, that What's sounds- your max? What's your max, you think? I'd say last year my max was five or six. This year, four, but I'm going to try and keep it to three. And when I go home, I want to have more two-week breaks. So this season's been really busy, but I have three weeks off after Honda, which will be great if I play the Masters by some something great happening in the next couple of weeks. I will gladly shorten that break. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm really excited for a three-week break to just reset, and uh, I'm sure I'll be feeling great when I head back to Hilton Head. What does a reset do? Or I guess on, on the opposite end of that, what does week four of four in a row look like? What, what, what are you trying to overcome? I know fatigue is the easy answer, but mentally is it just harder to stay in, 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 a, in a competitive mindset for that many weeks in a row? Honestly, I feel like my competitive mindset gets better as the week goes. It's it's a routine. I am traveling, and it, it becomes a very nice rhythm. Um, I do think that the the fatigue and the, the mental sharpness isn't quite there. Um, the the strength, your body feeling good, and that club starts to feel a little bit heavy, especially in those summer months. Um, but also, when I know I'm playing four weeks in a row, I won't do as much stuff in the first week. I'll take a little bit more rest time. I won't practice as much. And if I feel like I'm only playing two in a row, I can do everything I feel like I need to do Monday through Wednesday of week one and not worry about burning out for week four. Interesting. And I know we, we covered this in, in pretty great detail last time you were on, just about how you know how it was reported when you had mentioned that you were potentially looking to do uh, you know go a different career route than professional golf and how that kind of put you off on a bad foot with a lot with a decent amount of people in in the golf world do you think you're still kind of dealing with that at all do you still feel that at all or does that feel like such a such a big part of your past honestly there's a lot of people that uh write some poorly informed pieces um i still see that too and that's what i'm just kind of amazed that it, it people just latch on to these things that 
You know, they they learn one or two things about a person and they stay with that no matter how many times that person says, hey, that's kind of different than how it actually was. Yeah, I it's that's not to say that if I decided not to play golf and I pursued a regular job that I would be successful. I, there's there's no guarantee of that. Um, I didn't have job offers. I was just a 16 year old that didn't know what I wanted to do with my life yet. <laughs> God, you were 16 when you said that. <laughs> yeah, well, I might have been 15, but yeah, no, you know what? That's, that's a lie. I was probably 17 or 18, okay. but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's not like I was going to walk into immediate success in the business world. Um, I was still just a, a college grad. Uh, I proud of the degree I got in management science and engineering, but that's what I had. And I was going to go apply for jobs like everyone else in my class was doing, or, uh, just get a job anywhere I could and try and work as hard as I can and be the best I could at it. That was my plan if I didn't play golf. Um, uh, people love to talk about, you know, my, my dad and and uh, his career and, and how things went for him and how that must set, set me up for my life. But one of the things that I love about golf is um, that, you know, I made, made the five-footer because I put a good stroke on it. And uh, I can take ownership of that and feel really good about it. And... Um, you know, it's it, nothing's handed to you in golf, and uh, I take a little bit of pride in that for sure. Yeah, there's if if I'll I'll say it this way: if it was just about if it was only about being rich as a kid, it would you know every rich kid would grow up to be a successful golfer. It doesn't work that way. It's not that's that what you know reading you know some of this stuff and and, and talking to you and knowing you like knowing how far away all of that must feel when you're on the road and. Springfield on the Corn Ferry tour and like needing to get that ball in the hole and like knowing that your background yeah your background helped you you know get into golf like the way a lot of people it has for a lot of people but like you said that that score you write down on the card is what gets you to the PGA tour I think what people don't understand or, or probably wouldn't believe is you know I'm I stay at the residence in I I've, you know I'm working on my Marriott points I uh, <laughs> I live in a 1300 square foot apartment with two other guys um, I was really pumped because I changed apartments and now we're on the second floor so I can have the windows open. Um, I, I've driven my mom's 2011 Ford Explorer until it basically into the ground and I finally bought my first car and my dad was joking because I ordered a new Ford Explorer. My brother works for Ford. He, worked, he writes software for Ford and so I supported his company, got a new Ford Explorer and that was the Tuesday of Pebble and my dad called my caddy and goes watch Mav's gonna play good this week because he want, doesn't want to deep dig too deep in his pocket <laughs> um, but you know that's that's just that's just how I am and I'm really happy I love I live with Joseph Bramlett and, and one of my other buddies from Stanford and um, uh, that's I'm so happy but I, I can ask that a different way then are you cheap it sounds like your dad thinks you're cheap um, <laughs> or stingy is that a better word I, I don't I have a hard time spending money on myself I really do I love taking care of the people that take care of me that's that's one of my core life goals but I, I just it's hard to, to, to spend money on myself I understand do you and Danielle try to get your off weeks to line up is that is that a luxury you're affording in, in any way no we're we we work around our own schedules independently we we play the events we need to play to play great she's she's got uh, her eyes set on being the number one player in the world and uh, playing in the olympics and has a ton of goals and as her boyfriend i want to support her and do everything i can to help her reach those goals and i'm trying to win on the pga tour and she's doing the same for me and we're going to do everything we can to help each other make those things work and 
if she if it lines up in our schedule that we have an off week and we can easily travel to a tournament or uh, both get to be home that's awesome but uh, you know we're, we're trying to play great golf that's what I was gonna say too is with, with traveling to each other's events that that probably can't be that easy either because one when you're off not playing, you probably want to be home resting. Like you want to get the most out of that rest week. So it's probably not as super easy to just jet all over the place to each other's events. No, I was a big fan of uh, the, the couple of weeks here in Florida where the LPGA and PGA Tour are playing together. Um, but yeah, on, on the topic of the LPGA Tour, I think it'd be really cool uh, to see a ladies players championship talking about it this week. Have, give, have them have an event that is their own and uh, built for them and you know, they, the girls, the girls have game. They're, they're God. really good players. And man, I just, I just love to see them showcased, uh, for the shot making abilities, the ball control abilities and the exciting golf that they can play. I feel like it, it, somebody once pointed out that every time, you know, we talk about, uh, women's golf, we kind of sound like magic Johnson talking about basketball, like saying the most obvious stuff, but it is, I just want to scream it from the mountaintops. Like anytime you get to watch the women play, how crazy relatable their game is how not relatable is not the right word it is so much more uh it's a better blueprint for so many other amateur golfers out there yes it's just like the ball just goes where they want it to go they just it just goes right there and danielle says it too she says if you're comparing the men's and the women's game you're missing the point you you want to showcase the best of their game for what it is and it's really fun to watch and and we were even talking today about how uh, Bubba was saying he loves watching LPGA golf because they look like they're out there having fun. There's no complaining. There's no whining. There's no slouching. They're just, they have great attitudes. They hit great golf shots. And uh, it's, don't, don't challenge them to um, a closest to the hole or a straightest drive contest because you will get fleeced. Oh my God. I remember saying, I said this to Danielle uh, at Hazel TNF at Pro-Am and I, I felt bad how I said it because it was like, of course, like it was so dumb. But I just said, like, we got to like hole seventeen, and she made like yet another birdie, and I was like, "You are really good." And that just like was the overwhelming sense I had at the end of that day. It wasn't. It wasn't like I don't know. Just I was so impressed with every aspect of her game, her distance control, her mid range putting, all of these things. And I just I hope I want people to appreciate that in every way possible because it's. It's been a lot of fun for us to follow that. It's fun to watch good golf. Yeah, it really is. So, Well, Mav, thanks for coming back on, man. Really appreciate it. I had a lot to catch up on, and I uh, hope I didn't beat you too hard with all the repetitive questions, but I know our listeners will enjoy hearing from you, and we're enjoying seeing you have success on the tour. No, you guys are good, and uh, thanks for fighting the good fight and doing what you guys do. It's a lot of fun. Greatly appreciate it. Cheers, bud. Thanks. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah! I mean, that's... Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 